Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by my favorite college in America, Hillsdale College, which proudly refuses every penny of government funding to remain independent. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. It's all quiet in the underground bunker. Doors closed, locks bolted. But the great one isn't just resting on his laurels. He's making sure your weekend is even better by giving you his best. This is the best of Mark Levin. So you're driving your car, a mob surrounds your car, Black Lives Matter. A man shows up with a rifle at your window on the driver's side. And you fear for your life and you have a carry permit. You fear for your life. And you shoot the individual through the window, I guess. Then you're convicted of murder in Austin, another left-wing city. Another left-wing city. And Governor Abbott's looking to pardon the individual. It has to go through the pardon board. There are certain things that have to happen in Texas before he can actually pardon somebody. And uh, this man served... uh, in the armed forces, I believe he was a police officer at one point. And uh, the cities, it's very difficult. Very difficult to get a jury of your peers. And then the question is, if that's not self-defense, what is? Someone's coming at you with a rifle, and they're at your car window, and you're surrounded by a mob... And it's not like you're a moron. You know the mob is very violent. You've seen it taking place all summer long. You're not shooting indiscriminately like the guy at the Capitol did when he murdered the, uh, when he murdered the veteran. The only person who died that day, I would tell the media. He didn't shoot indiscriminately into the crowd. He shot at the person who had the rifle. Now, this doesn't just go one way where we should ban rifles, but on the other hand, if, if a person who has a rifle and is capable of using it and is part of a mob and he's standing at your window, you're supposed to sit there and do what? Become a victim, apparently. Now, as I was discussing, and this is a big deal, This is a letter today from Chairman Jordan of the House Judiciary Committee to the director of the FBI, who really is a disaster. There's something about him that really turns me off, really turns me off. His dishonesty, his sanctimony. Dear Director Ray, the Committee on the Judiciary is conducting oversight of the FBI, the handling of domestic violent extremism investigations against Catholic Americans. Now, first of all, I didn't even finish this sentence. Doesn't that disgust you right there? And its effect on protected First Amendment activity based on the limited information produced by the FBI to the committee And this is the other thing. He runs a cover-up operation. 
We now know that the FBI relied on at least one undercover agent to produce its analysis, and that the FBI proposed that its agents engage in outreach to Catholic parishes to develop sources among the clergy and church leadership to inform on Americans practicing their faith. This shocking information reinforces our need for all responsive documents. And the committee is issuing a subpoena to you to compel your full cooperation. We have repeatedly sought information from the FBI relating to a January 23, 2023 document generated by the Richmond Field Office entitled Interest of Racially or Ethnically Motivated Violent Extremists in Radical Traditionalist Catholic Ideology Almost Certainly Presents New Migration Opportunities, quote-unquote. We'll call it the FBI Richmond document. And in this document, the FBI purported to categorize Catholic Americans based on theological distinctions and relied on the Southern Poverty Law Center to suggest that certain kinds of Catholic Americans may be domestic terrorists. On February 16, 2023, we first wrote to you requesting documents and information to inform our oversight. After receiving no response, we reiterated our outstanding requests in a subsequent letter dated March 2023. On March 23, 2023, We received a substandard and partial response consisting of only 18 pages, many with significant redactions of, quote, personally identifiable information, unquote, or, quote, specific non-public information about FBI investigations, sources, and methods, unquote. That's the line they always use. That prevents the committee from fully assessing the content and context of the documents and obtaining information Requested from the Bureau. Now, you see the cover-up? You see the censorship? You see how he gives the middle finger to the Republicans in the House? This is why I detest this FBI director. He doesn't even show them any respect. He's got enormous power, enormous authority. The limited information that was provided to the committee makes clear that we must possess all responsive material without redactions. From this selective production, we know that the FBI, relying on information derived from at least one undercover employee, sought to use local religious organizations as, quote, new avenues for tripwire and source development, unquote. For example, in a section of the document entitled Opportunities, The FBI wrote, and I quote, in addition to redaction, engage in our outreach to the leadership of other Society of St. Pius X chapels to the FBI Richmond area of responsibility to sensitize these congregations to the warning signs of radicalization and to enlist their assistance to serve as suspicious activity tripwires. So they want priests and other parishioners to spy on parishioners on behalf of the FBI. 
The FBI similarly noted two other opportunities to engage in outreach with religious institutions in the Richmond area, citing a desire, quote, to sensitize the congregation to the warning signs of radicalization and enlist their assistance to serve as suspicious activity tripwires, unquote. Now, this outreach plan even included contacting so-called, quote, mainline Catholic parishes, unquote, and the local, quote, I can't see, uh, leadership. The FBI also expressed an interest in, quote, leveraging existing sources and or initiating Type 5 assessments to develop new sources with the placement and access to report on suspicious activity. This is unbelievable. So you better damn well believe the FBI had a big presence on January 6th, that they were all over the place. And here they are now trying to secrete themselves into Catholic churches. I want you to think about this. On top of the Internet, where the FBI inserted itself, on top of several elections where the FBI inserted itself, spying on the Trump campaign, This is shocking. That's why I call it the American Stasi. It's changed since I was working at the Department of Justice. It's simply not the same. Jordan goes on. This information is... Have you heard this today, by the way? Anywhere? Has anybody taken the time to go through this letter with you? No, they haven't. This information is outrageous and only reinforces the committee's need... For all FBI material responsive to our request, the documents produced to date show how the FBI sought to enlist Catholic houses of worship as potential sources to monitor and report on their parishioners. Americans attend church to worship and congregate for their spiritual and personal betterment. They must be free to exercise their fundamental First Amendment rights without wearing that the FBI may have planted so-called tripwire sources or other information in their houses of worship. Although the FBI claims to have numerous and rigorous policies to protect First Amendment rights, the FBI's Richmond document plainly undercuts these assertions. The document itself shows that its contents, including its proposal to develop Sources in Catholic churches were reviewed and approved by two senior intelligence analysts and even the local chief division council. And we know from whistleblowers that the FBI distributed this document to field offices across the country. It's unclear, however, how many FBI employees explored, quote, new avenues of tripwire and source development, unquote, in Catholic houses of worship across the country as a result of the FBI's Richmond document. Accordingly, and in light of your disregard of our earlier voluntary request, please find attached a subpoena for the requested documents and information. Signed, Chairman Jim Jordan. This is a crucially important constitutional battle now. If the FBI flips off Chairman Jordan and his committee and flips off the House of Representatives, 
What then? Surely they must have some kind of plan to deal with this. It becomes very difficult because the FBI director walks across the street, goes up the elevator a few steps, and meets with the attorney general, his boss. They're buddies, and the attorney general has no intent of punishing his FBI director. None. So the Catholic Church and you parishioners are being targeted. I told you before, if they can do all these things to Trump, if they can do all these things, they're only going to get more aggressive and they're only going to get worse. Parents under attack pro-lifers under attack now the Catholic Church this is no joke I read you the letter in whole it's not Mark making things up it's a fact Mark Levin in today's digital age where cyber threats loom larger than ever safeguarding your personal information is paramount So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. Making your weekend even better. This is the best of Mark Levin. This is a huge problem. And of course it involves the French. And I am not kidding. This is from Politico. Politico had a reporter on the plane with the the leader of France, Macron. I guess it's now again Vichy, France. Political Europe must resist pressure to become America's followers, says Macron. Now this guy Macron goes to meet with Xi while Xi is throwing jet fighters and battleships in and around Taiwan. This is a big problem, America. Aboard France's Air Force One, Europe must reduce its dependency on the U.S. and avoid getting dragged into a confrontation between China and the U.S. over Taiwan. French President Emmanuel Macron said in an interview on his plane back from a three-day state visit to China. Now, the fact that he says that gets Xi all worked up and excited. So, France's President Macron 
just made war with China over Taiwan 10 times more likely. Speaking with Politico and two French journalists after spending around six hours with Chinese President Xi Jinping during his trip, Macron emphasized his pet theory of, quote, strategic autonomy for Europe, presumably led by France, to become a third superpower. He said the great risk Europe faces is that it gets caught up in, a crisis, in crises that are not ours, which prevents it from building its strategic autonomy. He means with the United States. Xi Jinping and the Chinese Communist Party have enthusiastically endorsed Macron's concept of strategic autonomy, and Chinese officials constantly refer to it in their dealings with European countries. Party leaders and theorists in Beijing are convinced the West is in decline, and China is on the ascendance. And that weakening the transatlantic relationship will help accelerate this trend. Now I'm going to tell you something that's very upsetting. We are in decline. Thanks to the Democrats. We are in decline. Thanks to the Democrats. They want a nation in decline. They hate this country. They never say anything good about it. They want your money. They want your property. They don't want to hear from you. They'll monitor you, depending on your faith, depending on your viewpoint. The paradox would be that overcome with panic, we believe we are just America's followers, says Macron. The question Europeans need to answer, is it in our interest to accelerate a crisis on Taiwan? No. The worst thing would be to think that we Europeans must become followers on this topic and take our cue from the U.S. agenda and a Chinese overreaction. And just hours after his flight left back for Paris, China launched large military exercises. All right, after he left. Unbelievable. The French president, Macron. I'm looking for more. Xi responded by saying anyone who thought they could influence Beijing on Taiwan was deluded. Macron appears to agree with that assessment. Europeans cannot resolve the crisis in Ukraine. How can we credibly say on Taiwan, watch out, if you do something wrong, we will be there. If you really want to increase tensions, that's the way to do it, he said. Europe is more willing to accept a world in which China becomes a regional hegemon, something its leaders even believe. Well, unfortunately, the pullout and surrender in Afghanistan, the laxed support of our military with wokeism and very limited resources, the Biden administration generally and what it's done internally to the United States weakened us in terms of energy, weakened our dollar. Now the Chinese are moving in with their currency. I mean, everywhere you turn, 
And as a result of this, America, um, we're losing allies. Saudi Arabia is now thrown in with communist China, fascistic Russia, and even the Islamo-Nazi regime, the Iranians. They're their number one enemy. They've thrown in with them. Now France throws in with communist China. Think about this. Who's next? You know, Joe Biden likes to talk about his expertise in diplomacy. Joe Biden likes to talk about, well, uh, globalism, and he's a globalist, and America's back. None of this happened under Trump. None of this happened under Reagan. None of this happened under conservatives. It happens under Biden and the Democrats. They're destroying the country from within. And they're destroying our country from without. It's that simple. Now let's hope uh, there's stability here with the other European countries. European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen accompanied the French president during the visit. She said stability in the Taiwan Strait is of paramount importance. She said she told Xi during the meeting in Beijing last week the threat of the use of force to change the status is unacceptable. Macron, as you just heard with Politico, appeared to disagree. Unbelievable. McCarthy pointed out, Kevin McCarthy, President Reagan's six assurances serve as the backbone of our relationship with the people of Taiwan. The members here today make clear we take our support for the people of Taiwan seriously, and we are determined to speak with one voice. But we're not. And we have people in the Republican Party as well who are going to get us into a world war by showing weakness the way Biden does, the way the Democrats do. This is a big deal that France is cutting and running. It's not getting the focus that it clearly deserves in America's media today. I keep talking about China. Sometimes I think I'm talking to myself. I talk about it on Fox. I talk about it on Levin TV. I talk behind this microphone I have for years and years and years. And I'm still talking about it. We are not prepared. I'm telling you this, not to inform the communist Chinese who already know that, but to inform our politicians, our bureaucrats. We need to increase our defense budget significantly. We need peace through strength. We need the strength part now. And we need to prepare for not start prepare for war with communist China. Not start a war. Prepare for it. Or we're going to lose a ton of Americans. Or we're going to be enslaved to the Xi regime that will control the economy, control the seas, control the air, and constantly threaten us. And your lives will change forever. You will become poor, if not impoverished. That's the way it is. That's what's, that's what's staring us in the eyes. Either we face it and deal with it, or we don't face it and we live under it. 
Mark Levin. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. You're listening to the best of Mark Levin. Let me uh, help our friends up on Capitol Hill, Jim Jordan's committee, and let me educate Alvin Bragg, who really must have flunked law school. He says today, in a federal lawsuit brought in the Southern District of New York, essentially that Congress has no jurisdiction in a local prosecutorial matter, And he's asking the court to tell Congress to butt out. Now, the simple answer to that isn't even that there's federal money involved. I have better answers, and I hope they're listening on Capitol Hill. Number one, Mr. Bragg is interfering and affecting and influencing a federal election. Of this, there is no doubt. There is no question. That's why there's national interest in this. Donald Trump is the Republican who's leading in the polls for the nomination. Where that ends, I don't know, but that's the point. And so Mr. Bragg knows this. The fact is, objectively speaking, he is effecting, he's effecting, an electoral process, a federal electoral process. Number two, as such, this is a matter that reaches well beyond Manhattan, New York. This is a matter that reaches throughout the nation. And ironically, that's why he's in federal court. And he didn't go to state court. He went into federal district court because it's a federal matter. Isn't he an idiot? I think he's an idiot. But here's what he knows. New York is a Democrat Party cesspool. The courts are full with Democrat hacks. Prosecutorial offices are full of Democrat hacks. The entire justice system, so-called, is filled with Democrat hacks. So, of course, there are numerous federal issues here. And the federal court can do one of two things in throwing out this case. Number one, Mr. Bragg, why are you here? Well, it's a federal matter. You need to stop. Oh, okay. You just defeated your argument. Number two, Mr. Bragg. Clearly, there are federal issues here. And so I'm throwing your case out because Congress has wide latitude to hold hearings. And I don't think there's any question that the criminal process that you have triggered will affect a Republican primary process and 
a presidential election. So, of course, there's federal jurisdiction. Of course, there's a legislative purpose by Congress. Case closed. It's over. It's done with. I had to waste literally five minutes of your time and your intelligence on this. Could I be wrong? No. Could a court rule differently? Yes. But I am not wrong. I am correct. Whoever leaked the top secret information, whoever leaked these documents, these Pentagon documents about Russia and China and all this information about their plans with Ukraine, about their reach into Latin America and the Caribbean, about the decline of the United States, that person has committed a treasonous act. And they should face the death penalty. That's correct. I don't care who they are. I don't care what party they're in. I don't care if they have five stars on their shoulders or no stars at all. I don't care if they're in the military or not. I don't care if they're combat heroes or not. This is what treason looks like. This. And here's a piece in the Miami Herald. A recent leak of U.S. classified intelligence reports appears to confirm what many Latin American and Caribbean watchers have warned about in recent years. Russia and China are trying to gain a foothold amid waning U.S. leadership. Excuse me, I've been talking about this month after month after month on Fox, behind this microphone, on Levin TV. Screenshots of some of those documents obtained by the Miami Herald show that Russian mercenaries were planning to pitch a plan to provide security in Haiti. After months of unsuccessful negotiations led by the United States to form a multinational force to help tackle escalating armed gang violence in the Caribbean nation. They also reveal that the Russian government was trying to use Brazil's offer to mediate in a war the Kremlin launched against Ukraine to its advantage. Also, according to the highly classified document, Mark, why are you reading it? It's all over the media, America. If I just keep quiet about it, it's not going to change a damn thing. I want to confront this and address it. China's benefiting from from the uh, Russian-Ukraine war in countries like Nicaragua, where Moscow is a key security partner. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby said President John Biden, John Biden, Joe Biden was briefed last week when the administration, quote, first got word that there were some documents out there, unquote, asked if there were more documents circulating, and if they believed the leak had been contained, Kirby said, we don't know. We truly don't know. Yeah, they are busy on Trump, you see, in Mar-a-Lago. Evan Ellis, a research professor of Latin American studies at the U.S. Army War College Strategic Studies Institute, said that as a U.S. government civilian employee, could not confirm or deny or explicitly comment on leaked classified documents. But public source documents clearly show U.S. officials have growing concern about Russia, China, and Iran's presence in our hemisphere. 
This was not going on under Trump. The region, quote, is at an unprecedented level of political and economic crisis in which you have many different states, he said, which are kind of teetering on the edge in terms of whether they continue to be transparent democratic regimes or something more radical, said Ellis. <coughs> the sensitive material mainly contains secret U.S. intel assessments of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Copies of the documents started circulating on various social media sites weeks ago. Though the Miami Herald could not independently verify them, Pentagon officials have acknowledged most are authentic, though some appear to have been altered. The FBI is investigating the source of the leak. Wow. You mean they're going to take some of their agents off of the pursuit of January 6th trespassers? You see, folks, maybe if federal law enforcement, meaning the FBI, Maybe if our intelligence agencies, maybe if the Defense Department bureaucracy were focused on their damn jobs rather than chasing innocent American citizens, whether they'd be people trespassing on January 6th and no more, or people who are, who are peacefully protesting at abortion clinics, or parents who are protesting at school board meetings, Maybe this crap wouldn't be going on. For God's sakes. One report relying on information collected by the U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration said that as of late February, members of the Russian mercenary force, the Wagner Group, plan to discreetly travel to Haiti to assess the potential for contracts with Haiti government to fight against local gangs. It would surprise me that Wagner would be looking for business opportunities, Ellis said, adding that he has no personal knowledge of their plans. Oh, you don't say. Another report says that as of late February, Russian foreign affairs officials favored a Ukraine mediation proposal presented by Brazil's recently elected president. Brazil's president is a communist. That's why he's working with the communist Chinese. Nicaragua's president is a communist. He's president for life. Daniel Ortega, you might remember Reagan chased him out of the hemisphere, but he's back. In Chile, which used to be a free market democracy, Chile is a hardened socialist regime turning more and more toward Marxism. It's, it's shocking. Bolivia is led by a Marxist. We know about Venezuela. We know about Cuba. And there's more. Argentina is now led by a radical socialist moving more and more towards Marxism. And now China and Russia are coming into our hemisphere. There's an easy... Mark, how would you stop? There's an easy way to stop this. You say, you know what, China... It wasn't that long ago when South Korea had tactical nuclear weapons. You got your buddies in North Korea firing missiles around. We're going to help arm them. And you know what, Japan? We're going to help arm Japan, too. And while we're at it, let's talk to our friends, the Australians and the Philippines. Let's talk to them, too. That's how you handle it. <laughs> 
They're in our neighborhood, and we're in their neighborhood. That's how you handle it. All the pacifists, all the phonies. You want to debate Ukraine? I'll debate Ukraine and everything else. Here's what I've concluded. I've given this a lot of thought now, and I think it's quite obvious. You ready? World War III has already begun, ladies and gentlemen. We just don't know it yet. It's already begun. The enemy has launched it. The enemy is waging it. And the first battle of World War III is in Ukraine. That's the first battle. Like the Sudetenland. That's Ukraine. The Sudetenland for Hitler. Oh, you know, they got Russian-speaking folks over there in Ukraine. Yes, they do. And there's serious questions about the boundaries there. Yes, there are. And our response is, well, it's none of our business. It's, and so you have every a-hole here. I'm an American first. No, you're an idiot. You don't even see what's going on. The enemy's in our hemisphere. They're in Central and South America. They're managing both sides of the Panama Canal. They just took a deep water port in the Solomon Islands. Remember Guadalcanal? Remember the, the battles there? They have a deep water port on the west coast of Africa. That faces us. They have the biggest navy on the face of the earth. They have the biggest infantry numbers on the face of the earth. They have stealth bombers. They have stealth fighters. You think they need all of that to defeat Taiwan? No. It's aimed at us. Now they're undermining our economy. We're undermining our economy with the idiot in the Oval Office. The dollar is no longer going to be the world currency. It's going to be China's currency. Can you imagine? In two short years... Two short years. The United States is in this position. The war has begun. Not because I say so, but because I'm the first to recognize it. And I don't mean a Cold War. An actual physical military war has begun. And it's begun in Ukraine by Russia. Part of the Axis powers of the new century. Iran is launching through its surrogates attacks on Israel through its various terrorist organizations. Mark Levin. The Great One makes your weekend even better. This is the best of Mark Levin. Hey, you know who else has been visiting the White House while we're at it? Over at the Blaze, George Soros has proven himself instrumental, funding radical left causes over the years, but at the age of 92, the open society he has sought after needs a new champion, the billionaire's 37-year-old son, Alexander Soros. Piers to be the new champion. Pierce keen to carry on his father's legacy of propping up radicals and technocrats. Recently updated White House visitor logs 
They revealed that Alexander Soros has the ear prominent officials and staffers inside the Biden administration. Having visited the White House at least 14 times since Biden took office. I'm thinking 14 times. That is, think about that. 80 times people associated with Hunter Biden's businesses have visited the White House when Biden was vice president. 80 times. 14 times. 14 times. It's like once every other month. Soros' son has visited the White House. His son chairs his father's Open Society Foundation and sits on the board of the European Council on Foreign Relations. Now, this Democratic fundraiser and University of California Berkeley grad... Hold on. Sorry, folks. I don't know what that is. One second. Got it. Computer's acting weird. So he's a University of California Berkeley grad, Democrat fundraiser, routinely takes selfies with left-wing elites and left-wing politicians such as Macron of France, Obama, Pelosi, Booker of New Jersey, Schumer of New York, and so forth, but all across the globe. On March 30, White House revealed just how often in recent years Soros has haunted the White House. He said tended a luxurious state dinner hosted by Biden and First Lady Jill on December 1. He has met with Chief of Staff Ron Klain, his advisor Nina Stravatsva. Earlier in that day, the next day, Soros met with both advisor to the counselor to the president, Mariana Adam, and Deputy National Security Advisor Jonathan Feiner. Soros had on other occasions met with a National Security Security advisor, staffer, excuse me, and other personnel close to the president's inner circle. Matt Palumbo, author and essayist who has investigated the Soros empire, told Fox and Friends first it was notable that most of Soros' White House visits involved national security. National security. And it goes on. So people with a lot of connections, a lot of business interests with the White House and so forth. They get in there a lot, as it turns out. They get in there a lot. Uh, And this thread as I continue to pull all these stories together. We just talked about the, the donors who are cheating the system, who are not being investigated. We just talked about the, the Hunter Biden business partners and associates who streamed in and out of the White House when Biden was vice president, and even now. We just talked about Soros' son who streams in and out of the White House. Yesterday we talked about the information that was brought to us by... Uh, by American Legal and Reed Rubenstein about how special request in violation of the federal statute by the Biden White House got archives documents to the DOJ to investigate Trump at Mar-a-Lago. That is a huge story. 
America First Legal. And now we have this from the Federalist. Manhattan DA enlisted a who's who of Biden administration buddies for a Trump takedown by Margot Cleveland, who's been writing quite a while there. She's quite good. A New York City law firm with strong ties to Democrats in the Biden administration and a big-time fundraiser for both lent the Manhattan District Attorney three lawyers to help him take down Donald Trump. This cohort included former Special Assistant District Attorney Mark Pomerantz, whose leaked resignation letter appears responsible for the Manhattan prosecutor's decision to indict Trump. Remember, you might remember that Bragg dropped the case and then all of a sudden picked it up again. The U.S. Attorney's Office said there's no case here. The Federal Election Commission said there's no case here. Manhattan D.A. Alvin Bragg became the first prosecutor to bring such charges against a former president. The pathetic bare-bones indictment was quickly denounced by pundits on both sides of the aisle. Then on Friday, the House Judiciary Committee raised additional concerns about the role of Matthew Colagangolo, the former number three man in the Biden administration's Department of Justice, played in targeting a Trump. Matthew, C-O-L-A-N-G-E-O. Colangelo, Matthew Colangelo, that would make him the Associate Attorney General of the United States, the Biden's Justice Department. While Bragg's hiring of Colangelo to reportedly jumpstart the investigation into Trump further indicates the indictment was politically motivated. The Manhattan DA's office and its unprecedented use of outside Democrat-connected lawyers to investigate Trump well, it even predates Kalingu's arrival by nearly a year. Now, let's slow down, because this is important. Why would Alvin Bragg bring in outside lawyers to investigate Trump? I mean, they investigate the mob. They investigate Wall Street. It's Manhattan, after all. They investigate the most complicated criminal activity you can imagine. Why do they need to bring in these two people? These two Democrats. Why did they later need to bring in the number three guy at the Department of Justice under Biden? The number three guy. Did you even know this, folks? In early to mid-February of 2021, Bragg's predecessor, Cyrus Vance, arranged for private criminal defense attorney and former federal prosecutor Mark Pomerantz to be a special assistant district attorney for the Manhattan DA's office. Pomerantz, whom the New York Times noted, was to work solely on the Trump investigation. Nothing else. Took a temporary leave of absence from his law firm, Paul Weiss, Rifkin, Wharton, and Garrison. That is a huge law firm. Where he had defended former Senator Robert Torricelli against alleged campaign finance violations. So this lawyer is a Democrat Party hack. Slip and fall. But even before being sworn in as special assistant to the DA, Pomerantz had reportedly, quote, been helping with the case informally for months. Going to the New York Times, the hiring of an outsider is a highly unusual move for a prosecutor's office. Yes, it is highly unusual. One must wonder, then, how much more unusual it is for the Matt and DA, DA's office to receive the informal assistance of a prior criminal defense lawyer. That actually might be illegal. The legacy news outlet, however, justified the hiring of Pomerantz based on the, quote, usual, unusual complexity, unquote, of the two-and-a-half-year investigation. 
the former president is family. Yeah, it's very complex, a non-disclosure agreement. Unbelievably complex. A few months later, the DA's office welcomed two more outsiders, Alyssa Abahoof and Caroline Williamson, who also both took leaves of absence from the New York law firm, the same law firm, Paul Weiss, to work on the Trump investigation solely and only as special assistant DAs. For a law firm to lend not one but three lawyers to the Manhattan's DA's office seems rather magnanimous until you consider that Paul Weiss's previous generosity to Joe Biden. During Biden's White House run, the law firm itself hosted a $2,800 per plate fundraiser for about 100 guests. The chair of the Paul Weiss law firm, Brad Karp, also topped the list of Biden fundraisers, bundling at least $100,000 for the then-candidate. As someone who cares passionately about preserving the rule of law, safeguarding our democracy, protecting our fundamental liberties, I've been delighted to do everything I possibly can to support the Joe Biden Kamala Harris ticket, Karp wrote in an email. Karp's support of the Democrat presidential ticket isn't surprising, given that his fellow... Paul Weiss partner Robert Schumer is Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer's brother. All right, listen to me. The head of this law firm, the head of this law firm's partner is Robert Schumer, Chuck Schumer's brother. And this law firm gave three of its partners to brag in the DA's office to investigate Trump. There's your Schumer connection and there's your Biden connection. In fact, Biden's connection to the firm dates much further back. With former Secretary of Homeland Security in the Obama administration, Jay Johnson, also heralding from Paul Weiss, once elected President Biden nominated Jonathan Cantor, a former partner of Paul Weiss, to serve as the top antitrust enforcement official at the Department of Justice. In fact, according to Bloomberg, Paul Weiss has emerged as Biden-era New York power center. Got that? That means this law firm pours, raises a fortune in money with its connections to Biden and Schumer. And they can't afford a Trump presidency. Folks, this is a massive, massive scandal. The third one I've talked about tonight. The Democrat Party money laundering. Joe Biden lying about all the contacts when he was vice president with his son's partners and everything. And now this law firm, Paul Weiss. And it's ties to Schumer. Schumer's brother's a partner. And it's enormous ties to Biden. And the three lawyers that it gives voluntarily at no cost, temporarily, who are focused on getting Trump in the DA's office. I wonder why the New York Times uh, didn't put this on the front page. There's a resignation letter leaked in the New York Times. Pomeran said that in late 2021, Bragg's predecessor, Vance, had concluded that the facts warranted prosecution, and he directed the team to present evidence to a grand jury and to seek an indictment of Mr. Trump 
and other defendants as soon as reasonably possible. But after replacing Vance's DA, Bragg decided not to go forward with the grand jury presentation and not to seek criminal charges at the present time, Pomerantz wrote, adding, the investigation has been suspended indefinitely. This is why the House Republicans on the Judiciary Committee want to talk to this guy Pomerantz. There's a lot here that the media are not reporting. What Pomerantz's letter did not say was that in late 2021, at least three career prosecutors asked to move off the investigation. Reportedly concerned the investigation was moving too quickly, without clear evidence to support possible charges. So not the outsiders, but three career prosecutors said, uh, what are we doing here with Trump? Instead, in his resignation, Pomerantz declared... He believes, quote, Donald Trump is guilty of numerous felony violations, unquote, that, quote, the public interest warrants the criminal prosecution of Mr. Trump, unquote, and that, quote, such a prosecution should be brought without any further delay, unquote, and that letter was leaked to the New York Times. Gee, I wonder if this jackass did it. And then he writes an entire book. An entire book. Pomerantz later rejoined Paul Weiss, the law firm, and authored a book about the Trump investigation. And Pomerantz's letter and his claims that Bragg had suspended the Trump probe triggered a political firestorm with the Manhattan DA sought to quell by telling the public the investigation was ongoing. And we know what happened after that. Mark Levin. We're giving you nothing but the best. The best of Mark Levin. There's nothing our nations can't achieve if we do it together. I really mean it. So thank you all. God bless you all. Let's go. Let's go late. Lick the world. Let's get it done. Say what? Let's go lick the world. Well, I think that's pretty much what he's doing. As far as I can tell. I actually want to start with a story I bet hasn't received any attention in talk radio or any attention on cable TV. But years ago it would have, and it demonstrates, in my view, the great decline of the country. San Jose's Calvary Church. San Jose's Calvary Church ordered to pay $1.2 million in fines for violating health orders during COVID. Here's a church ordered to pay $1.2 million in fine for violating health orders during COVID, which could cause it to go out of business. I thought the Democrats believed in separation of church and state, even though it doesn't say that in the Constitution. A Superior Court of California judge, these Superior Court judges, just so you know, they're trial judges at a fairly low level. They're state judges. There's thousands of them. Not all, but most of them have to run for office. And um, they represent their parties. San Jose, Democrat. In Wilmington, Delaware, Democrat. So the judge rules that the Calvary Chapel, San Jose, must pay $1.2 million in fines, including interest, for violating public health orders during the COVID-19 pandemic emergency. Judge Yvette Pennypacker 
made the ruling last Friday citing the church's, quote, egregious conduct, unquote. The judge rejected the church's argument that the public health officer's orders prevented it from exercising its religious freedom or violated the Constitution. The church routinely held large indoor unmasked services during the coronavirus pandemic despite the health orders that applied to every entity in the county. This report is from KTVU. The Office of County Council on Wednesday issued a statement on the ruling that it should appear clear to all regardless of religious affiliation. They're wearing a mask while worshiping one's God and communing with one other congregants is a simple, unobtrusive, giving way to protect others while still exercising your right to religious freedom. Unfortunately, defendants, the church, repeatedly refused to model, much less enforce this gesture. Instead, they repeatedly flouted the refusal to comply with the public health orders and urged others to do so. Who cares what the cost, including death? Now, we now know that the mass mandate did nothing. That's the science. And that they still punish this church. The Superior Court's order comes after a federal court largely dismissed Calvary's claims against the county. The remainder of the case was stayed, allowing the state court to rule, county council said. The county said its priority was to take care of its residents during the public health emergency. Their lawsuit against the church was to seek accountability. Their lawsuit against the church, ladies and gentlemen, was to disrupt the, the nature of our constitutional order. And the fact that a federal court would not take it up, I guess a panel on the Ninth Circuit perhaps, is a disgrace. Is disgusting. So here's now another civil liberty. Another aspect of the Bill of Rights that's eliminated. That's eliminated. By the way, I'm a little frustrated today. You know, I went to Mar a Largo and I interviewed President Trump. What is it now, Mr. Producer? Almost two weeks ago. For a special on life, liberty, and Levin. What happened after I interviewed him, you know, he was charged. So that Sunday, we couldn't very well just run with the interview, given the hot news that had been taking place. And so that was to air this Sunday. This Sunday, another program was to air that I've been talking about, but it will not air. And so the Trump interview that I did won't air part one until next Sunday. Now, luckily, the things he and I talked about are still relevant. They're still pertinent. Uh, It was a fantastic interview, not thanks to me, but thanks to him. Thanks to him. And uh, that will run next Sunday. We call that the Sunday after this Sunday. So I just wanted to uh, make you aware. But all right, circling back. It's amazing to me how we twist our laws and constitutions and how the the Constitution and the judges do this constantly. 
to accommodate the left, to accommodate government. The Bill of Rights exists to protect us from government. Religious liberties in the First Amendment, as you well know, it is under constant assault, whether it's the FBI secreting itself into Catholic churches or what have you. It's an amazing thing how we push faith out of the public square. We push it out of the public square under separation of church and state. And yet, when it comes to wearing masks, the government goes into the church to force people to wear masks, which turns out to be a scientific myth. A myth. And no court will take it up and rule on behalf of the church. The church is going to have to pay $1.2 million. I don't know where they're going to get it from. No big deal. Not even worthy of news coverage in this country. Certainly not national news coverage. Not even worthy of conservative talk radio to talk about. It. Not even worthy of conservative websites to mention. It's really appalling. It's disgusting. That we've reached this point in our country where it's to be expected. One liberty, one civil right here and there, peeled away, one after another. It's incredible. And it's also obvious that we're willing to put up with an awful lot. Some guy today, and I don't know all the facts, but I read it in, in, the, on the, in, in a news site on the Internet. The facts that I read, again, I didn't read the trial transcripts, but... Some guy who attacked a police officer on January 6th with a shield just received seven years prison sentence in Washington, D.C. Okay, fine. But then you read about all these cases. About people attacking cops, shooting cops, and they're out like the next day. It's, it's, it's appalling. So this guy gets seven years, and so my question is, does everyone get seven years? Who attacks a cop? I'll bet the cops at the NYPD, they're going, what, the guy got seven years? Good, but nobody who hits us gets seven years. I bet cops all over the country are now saying that. Right now, a lot of them listen to us and their cruisers and so forth. Seven years. I, I don't even know what to say anymore. I don't even know what to say anymore. I didn't say the man didn't deserve seven years. I said, what about the other people who attack cops? Do they get seven years? Does Antifa get seven years? Black Lives Matter? I don't remember people getting seven years. If they did, where, where are the news stories about? I just don't remember it. Do you? You've got cop killers walking the streets that got off on some technicality. These judges are appalling. They're shocking how politicized they have become. It's just... I read that and I said, is, is that what the average guy gets for attacking a cop? No, it's not. <laughs> 